uh, and I was study of righteousness, uh, a study in righteousness. We in the book of Isaiah, the forty fifth chapter, and we see forth here where God was talking about His righteousness and His relationship with Cyrus, in his relationship with Cyrus. And we know all the things in life, I told you about the sovereignty of God. It's part of God's plan. That's why he can tell us the end before the beginning. He can tell us the end results. And everything along the way he gives us as signposts, a a lighthouse for us to see the way in darkness, those of us that are his, those of us that his providential arm, his providential light, his providential spirit, his providence comes into their lives to guide them in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And uh, I won't recap or go back over the last few lessons in the study of righteousness. I just kind of section them off with different headings to them. Well, this is trees of righteousness. And we know a tree is something that you plant. Yes. A tree has deep roots and it grows strong. And there are certain trees in the earth since the before. It says God had chosen us from the foundations of the world. So there are certain of us that are plantings of the Lord, that the Lord had planted. And we see what Jesus told the Pharisees that when they were saying they was of Abraham's seed. And he said, no, you're of your father, the devil, because it was their character, the acts that they performed, And where did it originate from? We know that Cain originated from his father, Satan, from the devil, because he was a murderer from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So in our lives, those of us, no matter where we fall from Genesis to Revelation, God knew about us. In his sovereignty, he created us for a purpose and Paul gets into this, as we'll try to end with some of that in the book of Romans. Some of us were created or made for destruction. Some were made to be vessels of honor. Some were made to do God's will, to be his chosen people. So there's no better person or individual than another. It's just that God determines this in his sovereignty. We wonder why sometimes we're just as wicked as the next person or just as sinful and evil is. But the grace of God fell upon us and he had chosen us to set us apart. In that we see that God has shaped and formed. uh, He had predestinated some to be conformed to his image and his likeness. I'll call those trees of righteousness in which... They are planted by the Lord, and God has a design on their life, and when they come to consciousness and he quickens them and wakens them, they go forth and do his will. They hear the voice of his calling. It's an effectual calling, and that's why there's something that we're doing, but it's something that God does in us because 
he had designed this from the beginning. So we talked about Cyrus being a servant of God, Cyrus being God's shepherd, Cyrus being God's anointed. I'm not saying Cyrus was completely different from all of the other kings or whatever, but he was his providential type of the Messiah, the anointed Jesus Christ. And I told you some of the characteristics of Cyrus. So to be trees of righteousness, he had plant, he had planted Cyrus. He had planted this Cyrus. As a matter of fact, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah named him some 160 to uh, 200 years before he were ever born by name. Yes. That he was go set the captives free. That he was go loosen the bonds. He he even said the route in which Cyrus would take in coming and to taking Babylon without a battle, without a fight. Yes. When we're talking about God's righteousness, we don't have a righteousness of our own. And when God comes into our lives and when God starts to work on us, we start to see that all our righteousness is as filthy rags and there's a putting on of Christ, a putting on of his righteousness, which is imputed unto us. God said in the book of Isaiah that he was to come forth and rain forth his righteousness upon the earth. He was going to pour out righteousness upon the earth. Not everything was going to receive that righteousness, but we know that righteousness a little bit more than what we can understand it to be. God's righteousness. God's justice is according to his righteousness and his holy character. So if we will have God's righteousness, we see why where when we praying that thy will be done, when that will is being done and he's bringing righteousness to the earth, justice is a part of that righteousness that's being brought about because to be a fair God, to be right, he has to be a just God the justice of God. That's why that there are some, his people that Jesus Christ died for, he died for the justification of the sinner being their substitute that we, he made us just in him. That's, he's our justification. With that justification comes his imputed righteousness. His imputed righteousness comes with that justification. In Psalms 119 and 172, the Psalms Psalms defines righteousness, stating that all of your commandments are righteousness. Those commandments is what reflect in writing the character of God. That's why we have to live, man should live by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. This is more easily said than done because that's not how we live. When he quickens us and makes us alive, we begin to walk in him. We begin to learn of him. That's why he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. We begin to learn of him. We start putting on Christ. But if we putting on Christ there's something we have to pull off. 
we have to pull off the old man, which is created or was shaped in iniquity and conceived in sin. That nature has to be put to death. Uh, What God does is always consistent with who and what he is and with what he has written. It, It can't violate his word. God can't violate his word. So that's a way of our standing the, 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 the whole of precepts, the statutes and the judgments of God because God can't go against his word because that's his character, that's his nature, that's who he is. That's why it is written. And when Satan was trying to use the word of God, he was he twisting the word of God. He couldn't see it from God's perspective. And that's what God does. He comes in and when he transforms us, we start seeing the world through God's perspective, through God's way of life. He said, it is written. And then he said, well, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. A lot of things we do is not consistent with the character of God, nor the word of God, but with his children, that consistency comes in that we're not dissuaded or, or, or upset if we don't receive the things we ask for because it's a reason God doesn't give us the things we ask for because as his children, if they are detrimental to us or we are asking for them to amiss, we ask it in the wrong way or we want to consume it upon our own lust. If it's something dangerous, being a good father, we have to see God in that parent image is that he said if a father wasn't giving his son a son a stone if he asked for bread, he wouldn't give him an eel or a snake if he asked for meat or for fish. Yes. Well, God wouldn't bless us or give us something that would be of harm to us. Right. So we know that we have the petition he we ask of him if we keep in his commandments and walking in his way. But if we don't, it means that we're doing something or practicing something that's sin or iniquity, something that would further separate or alienate us from God. So everything we need to do or bring into our life has to be conformed to his righteousness and the righteousness that's within God, I'll have to come back and elaborate on that point in just a minute. It's further in my notes than I thought it was, and I wanted to incorporate it right there. Uh, but here I go getting off on those tangents. But each time we sin, then we become evil and require the gracious forgiveness of God through the blood of Jesus Christ to become clean, cleanse again. In other words, it's like he told Peter, he that is washed need not wash all over. It's just that he need to wash his foot. That's why the practice of foot washing. In other words, we have to have a daily cleaning, his word, washing and cleanse us because we feet will fall. And if any man sin, he has an advocate with the father. But the way we realize that sin is the spirit convicts us of that sin. That in prayer, supplication, he shows us where we are wrong or we're studying his word and we see that he's keeping us 
that, and we ask him to keep us from presumptuous sin and from committing sin that we, in ignorance or whatever. That's why we have to study his word and practice his word so that we won't keep alienating ourselves further and further away from God. We shouldn't practice sin. As the book of Romans says, shall we continue in sin that grace shall abound? God forbid, because we know it is our iniquity, our sin that separates God from us. The lesson in, in Proverbs 13 and 6 is, the lesson is to make it our practice to do what is right and, and good in God's eyes, and that will greatly diminish our chances of falling into sin and of straining our relationship with him if we would practice to do what's in the word of God, practice to do righteousness, because Micah, what it is, 6 and 8, say you know what to do, what is required of you. To live humbly, to walk humbly, to do just. Remember what I'm telling you about justice and just? Yes. To love mercy. These are the things that we should do in trying to please God and to walk with God. How can two walk together unless they agree? So the book of Proverbs in 13, 6, as we were studying last week, in practicing righteousness, you remember the study of righteousness and practicing righteousness. We have to practice it. That's the way we have to live in the kingdom of God. So we need to keep doing that over and over, that his will be done because we're preparing for kingdom life. Righteousness keeping him that is upright in the way, but wickedness overthrow us sinners. Uh, in the Amplified Version, read, Righteousness, being in right standing with God, God's the one whose way is blameless, but wickedness undermines and overthrows the sinner. So we shouldn't sit in the seat of the sinner, scorner, or walk in the path of those that do wrong or right, but do wrong, but we should, our delight should be in the law of the Lord and walking and pleasing unto him. Uh What God does is always consistent, I was saying, with who and what he is and what he has written. His righteousness is absolute purity. His righteousness is absolute purity. Let's not confuse the two of righteousness and holiness now. He is utterly incapable of an unholy, unrighteous, or unjust act. Remember, we studied about that in the with Abraham, I think it was the book of Genesis, the 18th chapter, or whatever chapter it was in dealing with Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. God says, will not the God of the whole earth do what is fair and act righteous and just? For God to act unfairly, he would simply have to cease to be God for him to act unfairly. And we talked about justice and mercy and all of the ways in which God can act, but it's never injustice with God. It's never injustice. It may be justice delayed or it may be in some other fashion and I don't want to chase that rabbit right now. It is totally impossible for him to commit an an injustice and that's the problem with the land. We see injustice in the land. We see the people that are uh, in God's place. He says beware the leaven of the Pharisees for it contains for the doctrine of the Pharisees, for it contains leaven. So we see that leaven, we see the injustices in the land, and to be 
being made in God's image and his likeness, we have to start standing up against that. As sons of righteousness, as sons, the, the manifestation of the sons of God is that righteousness is growing in the earth. God's justice is growing in the earth, meaning that the evildoers that he told us not to fret ourselves because of evildoers, that we would boldly walk in the way of God and do those things that we'd necessarily do it presenting our body as a living sacrifice. So sometimes we'll suffer. Sometimes there are sacrifices that we have to make, but we gladly make those sacrifices because we don't fear him that can kill the body and, and destroy the body, but we fear him that can destroy the whole body and soul and spirit in hell. Yes. Being made with enduring righteousness. That's what we need, an enduring righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Whereas God's righteousness, according to Psalm 111 and 3, his work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endureth forever. That's why we receive his righteousness. Jesus Christ imputes his righteousness to us, not our, our own righteousness. There's none righteous, there's none just. So we have to have his righteousness, which is imputed unto us which is, in other words, placed in our account. It's accounted to us as being right. It's reckoned to us. His righteousness is the way he does things and when he, he does them. Now, Daniel establishes that God was righteous in what he did, and we get what we deserve. In the example with the children of Israel, God's chosen people in the Old Testament, that God sent them in the captivity because of their sins and transgressions and that God was right and just in doing that. Daniel 9 and 7, uh, I can read this out of both of them, uh, will I? Uh, it says, Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us confusion and open shame, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away, in all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the treacherous acts of unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. So we know that righteousness belonged to God, and it was in his word that he would scatter the people throughout all nations if they didn't follow his commandments and live by his statutes and precepts. We know all of these was in that covenant that he had made and had driven them afar off. A lot of them became the lost tribes of Israel. A lot of them was in captivity and it was confusion. Uh, I read that in the English, in the living version, which gives it a little bit more English understanding. It says, O Lord, you are righteous, but as for us, we are always shame-faced with sin, just as you see us now. Yes, all of us, the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, and all Israel scattered near and far wherever you have driven us because of our disloyalty to you. We had it coming. We are shame. He destroyed Shiloh. He destroyed Bethel. He destroyed all of these places because we continually transgressed the covenant and rebelled against him. And it was written what he would do if we did those things. 
So in his righteousness, which was our example written in the Old Testament, he can't tolerate that, not even from his own people. He told them, and give them the promised land, he says, but the land will spill you out if you go in the land and do the same thing that the people before you had did. And that was the promises of God. So it's going to happen unto us the same way in the church we see in Revelation, and a lot of it take it kind of light-handed where he says that he was fight against the church. That's God justice in the end times of those that are in the church because there are all types of birds that have gathered together into this tree. Nebuchadnezzar, king of kings, was a type of that tree where all the birds came to nest in. The wicked also. And his ministers, the ministers of Satan, has been transformed into angels of light. But God's righteousness in his ruling brings justice. Remember I said the righteousness of God brings justice. So there's a judgmental arm that comes with the righteousness of God. For if his kingdom is coming and his will is being done on earth, it contains the destruction of those vessels of, of dishonor. It contains the destruction of those that he had created to be destroyed. He, it contains the vials and the bows of those that the wrath of God shall be poured upon the children that are cursed children. Yes. I tell you, we will try to look at the sovereignty of God in the book of Romans, the ninth chapter, the 14th through the 21st, fifth verse. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness or injustice with God? God forbid, for he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the, the scriptures, for the scriptures have said, excuse me, for the scriptures have said unto Pharaoh, even for the same purpose, have I raised thee up that I might show? For the scripture said unto Pharaoh that he had created him for that purpose. Remember I told you there were some that God had created to be destroyed. He says, I had raised thee up that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore, had he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and on he, whom he will harden, he will harden. Thou wilt say unto me, Why doest ye yet find fault? For who had resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Had not the potter over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known with endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had before prepared unto glory even unto us whom he had called not of the Jews only but also of the Gentiles and he saith also in Hosea I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved. Now, sometimes these concepts, it's tough to kind of get a 
spiritual, mental grasp of uphold and swallow because we record, we, we kind of recoil, uh, kind of step back that God would choose some people to create people for destruction, for the take his wrath out upon. But we're not God. See, we can't get into God's mind, his rationale, his understanding, perspective, but that what God reveals unto us, that what God shows on us. He's the one that we give with, get wisdom, knowledge, and understanding from. So we don't try to explain what the world knows or don't know or whatever, but we grow in the grace and knowledge and understanding of God and in his righteousness. We pursue, holiness is something that we pursue after. Whereas righteousness, we don't pursue, we're not pursuing righteousness. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those are the ones that are being filled because it is God, it is Jesus Christ that imputes his righteousness unto us. So while at the same time he gives abundant grace in his calling to others who are just as worthy of destruction as the, some are, some others are. Were Pharaoh and the Egyptians any worse sinners than the Israelites? Well, hardly, but in God's purpose, they died while the Israelites received grace. So God chooses some, and he, some he don't choose, as it's in Esau and Jacob. But we will see where the Egyptians will cross over and come to God for their own, because they are part of that Gentiles, that, the God, that God, if we study God's word, and walk in God, growing in grace and knowledge and understanding of him, we'll see that all was written for us in this end time to come to uh, come to the light of greater understanding of God, of what he had did and what he had purposed in those shadows that are in the Old Testament to get to know God. As Paul says, there's no unrighteousness in God. There's none, not at all. So we see the potter forming the pottery, that he's forming the clay into what he wants the clay to be. Yes. He can make a one lump what he wants to. He can make us as he will. He is free to exercise his power as he wills. His actions are always done in love. In the end, they will produce righteousness Love and honor for him. Everything else is what? To the glory of God. So there will be Egyptians stated in the Old Testament that will be saved. The Assyrians. That will be those because he's not willing to perish, but that all would come to the knowledge and understanding of God. So no men, in other words, no nations. There's be representative mankind among all the people, that he's not willing that any perish. When he says any, he means any of us. In other words, of all nationalities, if God was to take a tenth of every race upon earth, every nationality upon earth, mm -hmm. then he would be saving all mankind. Okay. The 90% that goes into destruction are that's created for just that purpose because he created everything out of nothing. So it would be as though those never existed. The 10% out of all mankind, that remnant that he saves, 
that would enjoy eternity in that righteousness that would endure in the kingdom of God because it's enduring righteousness made out of his image and likeness because there's nothing outside of God. All of everything else was vanity and vexation of spirit. So it would be as though it never was. In the next life, we wouldn't have no memories of this life, of those things that was. That's why we uh, shy away from teachings about when someone died there up in heaven looking down upon us or whatever. I don't think that that's the case, and we don't find that teaching in the Word of God. What does an oak tree mean spiritually? You remember I, I was saying this is the trees of righteousness and you planted trees of righteousness. Well known, well, they're known for its beauty, lobbed green leaves and that tiny acorns. The oak is cherished across the world as a symbol of wisdom, strength, and endurance. There's a lot of the live oaks that are Long Park Boulevard and some of the other places that are hundreds of years old. There are different types of trees. There are acorn, I mean, there are olive trees. There are cedar trees. There are different trees mentioned in the Bible, and I don't want to go over the types of trees, but God says we would be trees of righteousness. So that would be varying the different trees because God had created different, uh, he created our assortment in his in his creation, you can see the beauty of God throughout the world, and we all has a difference in us, or whatever. The word oak occurs four times in the Bible. It refers to mighty men in the word of in Exodus 15 and 50, Ezekiel 17 and 13. It referred to rams in Isaiah 60 and 7 and trees. Isaiah 61 and 3. Each one of these translations all come down to the concept of strength and stability as we think about a tree. The saints are called trees of righteousness in Isaiah 61 and 3. These rational trees must not bring forth leaves, but fruit being filled with the fruits of righteousness. They are trees of righteousness they're not bringing forth leaves, but what fruit of righteousness. He want all of us to bring forth fruit. And that's what, if we're the, if we're the vine, he's the, we're the branches, we bring forth. If we abide in him, we bring forth the fruit in our lives. His spirit, that spirit produces fruit in our lives. That's what the Holy Spirit does. As his guiding and leading us into all truths, we become fruitful in him. And that's the only way to be fruitful is abiding in him. Yes. Uh, to further amplify this, we see I picked out some samples here. Psalms 1, 1 through 3 says, Oh, the joy, joys of those who do not follow evil men's advice, who do not hang around with sinners, scoffing at the things of God, but they delight in doing everything God wants them to do. In other words, they delight in the law of God and and day and night are always meditating on his laws and thinking about ways to follow him more closely. These people meditate in God's word day and night. They delight in the law of God. 
They are like trees along a riverbank, bearing luscious fruit each season without fail. Their leaves shall never never wither, and they all shall do, and they all and all they do shall prosper. Just as Joseph, when he was planted in Egypt, he brought forth fruits of righteousness. Everything he put his hand to Pharaoh seen that it prospered. That's why the prosperity gospel preachers are right in the fight that God wants us to prosper in health. He wants us to be financially prosper. He wants us to prosper in life. We can't be unsymmetric in what we're doing, though. We don't want to just concentrate on money and, you know, finances or health. We want to be balanced throughout the Word of God. So we must preach repentance. Mm, That's repentance is a part of this regeneration. And see, that's what a lot of teachings leave out, repentance. They leave out also suffering. There, there has to be suffering. The righteous are suffered to enter in. So we have to preach the whole word of God. And there are, there are valleys and there are hills that we will have. But to be planted in the word of God, Paul says, he learned to be content in whatever state he's in. He could abase and he could abound. Psalms 92, 12 through 15 says, The righteous will flourish like the date palm. They will long live, upright, and useful. They will grow like a cedar in Lebanon that is majestic and stable. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. There goes that analogy. Planted in the house of God. We are in Christ. That's where he had put us. We are building fitly framed together. Trees of righteousness. That here we have a naming of several different trees. You remember I told you that trees of Lebanon grew the strongest trees. And the cedar of cedars of Lebanon, they were used. Haman had floated those down the river for Solomon. Mm-hmm. And they was used extensively in building the house of God because it's such a beautiful tree and the grain of the grain is such beautiful wood. We see cedar chests and cedar robes and cedar floors and things. A lot of things are made out of cedar, the grain and the woodage of cedar. We see it says the date of the palm tree. We see how tall and straight those trees grow when in the proper lighting, in the proper environment. It says, growing in the grace, they will strive and bear fruit and prosper in old age. That's what I'm saying. The older the tree, the more fruit it would bear. In other words, there's no time limit on these trees. You remember I was telling you about these olive trees? It may be those trees that may be still there toward that garden of Gethsemane uh, in that vicinity of areas that hadn't been torn down by mankind or whatever, but was there during the time of Jesus' crucifixion some 2,000 years ago. So he's likening us to those trees. He says in old age, see, the older we get, how about a mind with a capacity to remember everything from youth? You know, the mind is like a giant computer. You know, a computer has so much RAM and hard drive and memory in it. And the larger computer, some of the computers work so fast or whatever. But 
they're, they're made after the pattern of man's mind. And we can only use, maybe, we're only using maybe 10% of our, our mind. The genius is among us. Mm-hmm. The, that's the really smart ones. Yeah. It's like my iPhone. I only use that for two or three different things. Banking and sometimes, as most of the time, it's a media player because sermon audio or sermons are playing on it day in and day out. Mm-hmm. I receive texts on it. I receive phone calls on it. I do a lot of things, but it's just at the surface of what I use it for. It can be used for countless numbers of things that I never venture into. Well, the same thing with our mind. Everything that has happened to us is in our minds. And God's going to unlock those minds one day. Just like Adam named all the animals and he named probably all of the plant kingdom and all of these different things, Mm -hmm. that is in the capacity of the mind that God had created. And just think, if our minds is that finite, if we having the mind of God, think about what we can do to have the mind of God. Mm -hmm. The problem with our minds, though, is eating of the fruit of the tree. That tree, here goes the analogy of the tree again. Eating from the wrong tree, we gain the knowledge of evil. And thus, that's why we're going through what we're going through, so that we could experience this and God purge it away because some things has to be learned or experienced. That's the way God's creating mankind. Okay, it says, They will flourish and be vital and fresh, rich in trust and love and contentment. They are living memorials to declare that the Lord is upright and faithful to his promises. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. That's the amplified version of that. So we see we're like the rocks crying out to God. We're like the trees. Everything that has breath Praise the Lord. That's all of creation waiting for this manifestation of the sons of God. When we start walking in the light of God, when that knowledge begins to increase, all of creation, the earth, go open up to help the church. Everything, climate change, everything is working for the benefit of God. It's, it's for those that love the Lord. All things work together for good. And so that's why as Christians, we have to see some of us may not be here during end time, but we won't precede those that are asleep. They'll come back with Christ first. They'll rise in Christ first. We'll all be changed. We'll all be changed. So some of us will be living, but some of us will be going on to the Lord because there'll be a lot of Mars or those that sacrifice their lives for right doing, we all we, we all won't be alive, and so God's will will be do, being done. So those of us sleep, we're sleeping in the Lord. That's why we don't fear death or the things that happen unto us. Psalms, I mean Isaiah sixty one and three says, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. 
Cyrus, all of us would become trees of righteousness. He had planted us. Instead of ashes at mourning, he's going to give us anointing, that anointing. You remember me say Cyrus was God's anointing? He's going to give us those that mourn for the nation, those that mourn for the things done upon the earth. He's going to give us joy. That ashes that would turn to ashes, he's going to give us a great beauty for that because we'll all be transformed. So the curse was upon man. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We're at, from dust we came to dust we return. But those that he had chosen, he had planted in the earth. From out of those at dust, you shall rise because he had given his word that we were his. Not the wicked it won't be such. I don't want to get off on that tangent, that rabbit trail. I only have 15 minutes left, looks like. But we are trees of righteousness. So the oil of joy for mourning, that's why he says, blessed are those that mourn. So that's why I was telling you earlier, it's not about smiling and joy and happiness. That's happiness and laughter. I don't know about that. See, because when he says, my joy that I give you, that's different from the joy of the world. The world can't take that away. So sit that's not situational. God's joy is it. So I'm not worried about people laughing and smiling. But I am worried about people knowing the Lord and having the peace and joy that comes from knowing the Lord. That's what I'm interested in there. That's something no man can take it away. That heaviness of spirit. We see some that are heaviness of spirit, but he's going to give those with heaviness of spirit a garment of praise. You remember I said we have to put him on? We're going to be robed in his righteousness. It says robed in his righteousness. That's what God's giving for the people, for those trees that he's getting ready for him. It says to grant to those who mornings. Are, okay, I don't want to read that in the Amplified, but you, it's in your notes. You can read it in the Amplified. And Jeremiah 17 and 8 says, For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaves shall be green, and shall not be, care, be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Those of us that follow the Lord. These are the ones that God had planted. God had planted these trees. But we have to be careful with trees. Because you remember I was telling you about the Pharisees. Yeah. There are a lot of trees that growing up. There are a lot of trees. But in Matthew 15 and 13, this is what he says about trees. He says, but he answered and said, every plant, every tree, which my heavenly father had not be planted, shall be hewn down at the root of the tree. He will hew those roots. It shall be no memories of those trees. Because like I said, there are two seeds in the earth. There are two growing up. He says, let the tares and the wheats grow together. See, because those wicked that are prospering, those that seem like they're prospering and in good health and all these things, it'd be no remembrance of these. He's going to hew them down. This is his justice hewing those trees down because judgment begins at the house of the Lord. And if righteousness is poured out over the earth, who can endure 
during that day of the Lord. He who shall be able to dwell in the mountain of the Lord. See, no one gets by. This is God's righteousness and judgment. That's why righteousness is the gospel preached. Righteousness is in the gospel. That's why we preach the word. We preach it in season and out of season. Because you're judged by the word. That word will draw you or drive you. And blessed are those that love his word and meditate in his word day and night. They're hitting the word in their heart because that's what giveth them life. His words are life. They're living. 1 Corinthians 3 and 9 says, We are God's fellow workers. In other words, his servants working together. You are God's cultivated field. His garden, his vineyard. We're God's building. Now you remember what he did to his vineyard in Isaiah, I think it's the 6th chapter, the 10th chapter, when it says, what shall I do with my vineyard? He had planted it a good vineyard and he hedged it about, but the vineyard brought forth bad fruit. And that's why I say, a tree is known by the fruited bear. What fruit are we bearing in our lives? What characteristics does, does our life, lives have? Because if it's not the right characteristics, it's going to be hewn down at the root of the tree. We see it in Isaiah 5. It says, Now will I sing to my well-beloved the song of my beloved touching his vineyard. He says in verse 4, What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes, and now go to it, will tell you what I shall do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down, and I will lay it waste, and it shall not be pruned nor dig, but there shall some come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon them. So that righteousness, they will not receive anymore because it was raining on the just and the unjust. But now God's righteous justice is at work. So his right people, his king, his people are coming forth. Those that are practicing righteousness because it's laid to the plummet. You remember I said he's going to lay it to the plummet. And it's a time where we will have to stand up on the word of God. Woe be unto those doing that day that are counterfeits. Because every tree that his father hadn't planted shall be hewn down at the root of the tree. All of their children, their offspring, and whosoever. Because when Cyrus released the captives, he said, whosoever will can go back and build the house of God. But that whosoever we see is God's true people. We all just can't build the house of God. God has to call us to do those things. Uh, Philippians 1, Paul says, Paul and Timothy, bondservant of Christ Jesus, the Messiah, that is the anointed. Same name Cyrus had was the anointed, the Messiah. To all the saints, that is God's people in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. We see here that Christians are clearly identified as saints in scripture 
It's not just to the Pope or certain people that the church declares as saints, but God's people are called the saints of God. It's a scriptural meaning, not, not a church meaning, but a scriptural meaning. We're all saints. A saint is a holy one, separated from the unconverted, who do not have God's spirit. We must not confuse righteousness and holiness. I told you that earlier. Let's not confuse righteousness and holiness. Though they function together in the salvation process, they are specifically not the same in qualities. They're not the same in qualities. That's why I say we pursue holiness. Righteousness is the practical and consistent application, the right doing of God's way of life. Listen to that. Righteousness is the practical and consistent application, the right doing of God's way of life. At its foundation, though, holiness is being clean, purified, and set apart, distinguished from others for God's uses, sanctified, in other words, you're being sanctified. You're being washed and purified by His Word. You're being made holy. That's why it says we should present our body as a living sacrifice unto God, holy and acceptable. How do we do that? By putting on Christ. His righteousness is what God sees when He sees us. Holiness is notable by life as free from the defiling acts of sin as the convert can achieve as he overcomes and grows. That's why I say throughout the scripture he tells us to be overcome. And as we grow, and that's what I have to talk to the sister about, that the next phase, there are different phases in life, and we have to overcome at each stage of life we're in. Holiness is godly. Is godliness. Holiness is godliness. So essential is holiness that the author of Hebrews declares, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So without holiness, we won't see the Lord because holiness is a refined life. It's a life that has been sanctified, set apart for God's use. Holiness must be pursued. I'm not going to say that again today. Holiness must be pursued. Thus, God's legal declaration of holiness, which we receive through Christ's righteousness as we begin converted life. We receive this through God's righteousness as we begin in this converted life because we're being regenerated, right? And that's why I told you regeneration, repentance, all these things has to be preached whereby the fruit, prosperity, and all of these things is what's being produced by living this way. You see what I'm saying? How you bring forth fruit, and trees continually bringing forth fruit, but it's through the pra- practical application and walking therein in God's Word in obedience to, to God through the Spirit, being led by the Spirit of God in this narrow way that we pursue. 1 Peter 13 and 16 charges us with this responsibility. It says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest in your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. 
not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. So holiness reflects the attitude and way that God conducts his life. Holiness reflects the attitude and the way that God conducts his life. Peter's charge here is to us is not to add to the righteousness conferred on us by receiving Christ's righteousness. We're not adding righteousness to that. It's imputed to us and it it grows in there. Righteousness is righteousness. You're either righteous or unrighteous. In the book of Revelation it says, He that is righteous, let him remain righteous. He that is unrighteous, let him remain unrighteous. Either you are or you're not. Never in our human lives will we ever be more righteous than at that moment that when Christ justified us and imputed his righteousness unto us. The purpose of the pursuit of holiness through living God's way in our daily lives is to ingrain his way into our pattern of living so thoroughly that it becomes habitual, as we might say, it becomes our first nature. We're getting rid of the old nature And by living the way God lives, practicing, walking in that way that his will being done in our lives, that we're being made in his image and likeness, we were created not to do our own will, but the will of God. It is Christ living in us. So that I do, I'm doing that which the Spirit leads me. I'm being led and guided by the Spirit. And the more I walk in that and do what the Spirit leads and guides me to do, the more I die to self. Self is dying daily. We must mortify the deeds of the body where we wouldn't obey it in the lust thereof. None of the lust of the flesh, it has to be put to death. This new man, the inner man, is what lives. This effort is as a living sacrifice in our contribution that helps transforms us into the image of Jesus Christ, Romans 12 and 1. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 describes we are presently are in God's purpose. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. So we are created. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And old things, we're trying to die to those things. They're passed away. The former things, we're no longer that individual anymore. We're a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 more specifically defines where God's creative process is headed. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So he's transforming us into his image and into his likeness. We're being sanctified and put in just... All of us could be just like Christ. He's, when we see him, we know we're going to be as he is. The character, the attitude is going to be... We're going to be able to say just as he said, if you've seen me, you've seen... We're going to be one with him in God and the Spirit. That's what the Spirit's job is. It's to lead us and guide us into all truths. The Spirit, 
He's building us a spiritual house. We're Christ's house. We're trees of righteousness. In Galatians 4.19, Paul writes, My little children for whom I labor and birth again until Christ be formed in you. Notice that, to Christ be formed in you. He also says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 49, As we have borne the image of the man of, man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. So, we're looking for the kingdom of God with trees of righteousness planted in the earth to bring forth righteousness unto God, fruit unto God, and to glorify Him. Heavenly Fathers, we come before you.